for tuning into Power Athlete Radio. This week, the crew returns to answer your questions. Inquiries about training, supplementing, and injury prevention are just a few of the topics discussed in today's episode. And normally, as you all know, I'd wait until the end of the episode to promote upcoming events, but I just don't want to risk you missing out on the goods, especially since I know that most people only tune in to hear the intro. So here's the deal. Slow sucks. Slow internet sucks. Slow lines at an open bar wedding suck. Even sloths. Those guys are super slow and they're assholes. Why am I telling you all this? Because although we can't do anything about the painfully slow plot development of an M. Night Shyamalan movie, we can make you faster athletes. Power Athlete HQ's Speed Kills Protocol will equip you with the technique, fundamentals, and programming to make you a standout performer. As we all know, on field, it doesn't matter how strong you are if you're unable to move your mass at the drop of a dime. Sign up for the Speed Kills program by going to powerathletehq.com backslash speedkills and enter the promo code, all caps, PAPAS, P-A-P-P-A-S, to receive 10% off your purchase. And our hashtag Toes Forward Challenge is back. You know what to do. Take a pic of your feet, shoes, hooves, rollerblades, pointed toes forward, and tag Power Athlete HQ. And don't forget to tag hashtag Toes Forward, of course. In doing so, you'll qualify for a chance to win $3,000 worth of swag from participating sponsors. The competition starts September 5th and runs through the 18th. So get creative, maybe take care of that turf toe situation, and start posting immediately. Hashtag Toes Forward. Hashtag Toes Forward. All right, enough. Here's episode 171. Ladies and gentlemen, it is that time again. Tex, why are you smiling? I'm just enjoying a mild coffee. <laughs> it is that time again. I, th- I think you're smiling because you don't believe what I'm about to say. Are you a believer? <laughs> believer. A believer. Justin fucking Bieber band. It is that time again for... Power Athlete Radio. It is the premier podcast in strength and conditioning, people. That's right. We have the best guests, the best hair, best shoes. What else? Best mild coffee. You name it. We've got it. And we're excited because we're going to give you a little crew podcast. This one might be the best crew podcast because we got some solid questions lined up. But uh, Tex, what's going on, buddy? Uh, not much. So I, how long have I been here? I've been here like three months drinking coffee every single day. And the coffee machine is literally on my desk, and Luke just was fidgeting with some knobs today, and I see this word strong mm-hmm. pop on. Yeah. So it turns out for three months, I've been making nothing but mild coffees. Yep. Oh, yeah. Unbeknownst to, I guess, myself, and I'm just freaking disappointed, and it just tastes mild. Yeah. It's because you're used to doing the bare minimum and not tinkering and finding out the best settings on things. You're the type of guy who doesn't update their phone when a software update comes through. What's a software update? Anyways, I mean, Tex, I mean, we haven't seen each other for a while. I mean, (laughs) we've only been like uh, on a jet a couple rows across from each other for the 13 hours over the past 24. Uh, Holland, man. So let's talk some Holland. We just were in in the Netherlands for a CrossFit football seminar. It's my first time there. Texas' first time there. Uh, Always cool to jump into a new country. Uh, We were able to... Spent some time in Amsterdam. Unfortunately, we did it wrong because we did it. We hit Amsterdam the day we traveled. So we're jet lagged as fuck, tired, wandering around, and then honestly just got to a point where 
we had a drink, we had some food and it was like, let's go home and go to bed. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, we got a pretty good view of the city. I wouldn't say we completely wasted the trip. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then where we go day two, Utrecht, um, mm-hmm. yeah, for that's where, talk about. Yeah. And that's where, uh, right outside Utrecht it was where we went and had our seminar at, uh, CrossFit FSF and Yost and the crew there, uh, Bob's all hooked it up, dude. So when we go on these things, uh, especially international, like we don't really know what to do, where to go, but, uh, I'll, the experience has made or break or making made or broken, I guess make or break, whatever, by the host, right? So we can go to a place where a host, maybe um, the decision maker or whatever isn't around and they have like a scab greenhorn coach running the facility and you're like, hey, what should we do now? And they're like, I don't know, I'm fucking, you know, I don't know. They, they just don't have that uh, that switch, but. Or they don't speak English. Or, yeah, or they don't speak English. So, but it was great because uh, we got food sorted and everything. I mean, the host took us out for, some local delicacy, which was Dutch pancakes, right? So the pancake, like the size of a plate, but here's the catch people. They put like cheese and sauce and tomato sauce and like meat and bacon and ham in the pancake. So it's kind of like pizza toppings almost, but in a pancake. And then uh, I didn't because I'm not a sweet type of guy, but people slop syrup all over that, you know? And then what, what was your pancake? You got like a, I got the pizza. You got the pizza, which was like cheese, tomato sauce, cheese, vegetables, and threw a little bacon shigisha in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But no, it was, uh, it was sick. So we actually had a question on, the, you know, what do we think of the Dutch, right? So uh, let's see. Let's pull up the exact question here, Tex, and I'll let you go ahead and read it off. Here we go. This is from CJ Goad. We know John's opinion on the Norwegian guys, but since you guys just got back from Holland, what do you think of the Dutch folk? Well, they're fine. They were, everyone was kind. A lot of the English speakers, so that always helps because we're ignorant assholes and don't know anyone else's language. This is actually, I realized the first trip that I didn't figure out hello, well, hello, hello. Uh, like any sort of casual greeting and thank you in the, the local fucking tongue. Well, we weren't forced to. Yeah, but still, it's just a an act of good faith, I guess, or like, you know, being a considerate guest in someone's country. But... um Interestingly enough, where we saw a disconnect was in just our platform of presentation at the seminar and preparing people to deal with a client base that we would refer to as the performance whore. The person who plays sports, they're using the training as a vessel, they want to get better, they want to outperform the opposition, and there, will, there are people within that, that psychographic that will do it at all costs, Right. So this is one of the things that our boy Thad was talking to us about is just kind of a slight disconnect in the culture between American sports and some other countries and the mindset of sports in, in Holland. Yeah, so whenever we do those little tests, whether it's from our isometric holds or just kind of some leadership, some team building stuff, you know, almost we had to over-explain what to do. They didn't have a set expectation. If we were asking for leaders, everybody's looking around for the next guy. Or, or I don't know if they know the definition of a leader is, but – right. So, and then, yeah, Luke had to play bad cop, give him a little um, freaking um, introduction to what America is all about. Yeah, if you're going to fucking, if you're going to hesitate, if you're going to quit, we talk about, you know, you tolerate that stuff in your gym, you're doing your athletes a disservice. That is always a message we have to deliver at at the seminar because 
we understand, listen, you people who are coming to this seminar or have been like, I know what it's like. You go there. It's kind of a little vacation away from being the coach. You get to get coached, right? And you want to have fun. And we do certainly hit the birthday party vibe. We have a lot of fun. Um, but just because you're on vacation and you're having fun doesn't mean you get to take a playoff. So just like any coach would break a boot off in your ass, right, Tex? Size nine. Coach Atwood. <laughs> if you take a fucking playoff at the seminar, you're going to hear about it. And everybody has that moment of weakness. And, and somebody is always, uh, will always be made an example of. And typically everybody's a good sport because we bring it back full circle and we build you back up. And, uh, and it truly changes the pace and the tempo of the, the rest of the practical session, whichever, wherever we have to break it out. If it's in the sprints, if it's in change of direction, if it's in our ISO stuff, if it's in the warm ups, if we break it out, the tempo is shifted and people get into it. Right. Yeah. So, and, and this is a, this is an opportunity I enjoy every single seminar because we meet a lot of coaches and I hear a lot of coaches complaining about their athletes. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, this is going back to like an old, old referees quote. You can either dumb down a program or you can start coaching your athletes up. Mm -hmm. So instead of complaining about their attitudes, why don't you put some pieces in place in which it, it kind of creates or drives the appropriate attitude or culture for your gym? So it's kind of that, that, that hello, and it was a, definitely an awakening for all of our attendees there. Yeah, and they, I, I think they, in terms of cultural shock, like that might not be a very uh, Dutch way to communicate how we decided to, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like firm and I guess, I don't know, fucking being an asshole, right? Being, you know, good cop, bad cop. And, and uh, but we always like to expose the attendees to that side of coaching and that you have to, everyone, you know, one of the hardest things to do as a coach is be the bad guy. And I tried to tell this every seminar is, you have to tell your athletes they're not doing a good job or they're doing it wrong, but it's up to your creativity and how you, you know to coach this athlete on how you want to hit it. Like, is it, I'm not saying negatively reinforce your athletes because I know that doesn't work. Uh, one of my best friends and I got in a debate over this. I'm like, listen, man, I'm a negative reinforcement guy. He's like, you just think that everybody responds to positive reinforcement. He's a big, you know, psychology guy, sports psychology. And uh, I, I truly don't think so. I've been positively reinforced. I respond, respond well to negative stuff. But there's a way to positively empower your athlete and, and bring uh, awareness to that they're not doing a good job and they should be doing better. And it's, it's hard to verbally uh, expect more out of your athletes. It's easy to say they're doing great and put them on a pedestal, but it's hard to break them off and, and take them to that place they can't take themselves. And that's like the whole essence of being a power athlete coach, right? So, uh, Tex, if you want to go more into that. I mean, we got some pretty good questions. We got a lot to get to. All right. So, let, should we, talk about shall that. we barrel forward? Yeah. So, what I want to kick us off with here is one of the first questions we got from Justin versus Tacos. Mm -hmm. That's a great name. Mm -hmm. All right. So, he asked us, how do you avoid hamstring pulls when sprinting? And so this is all going to come down to, it also combos almost with another question we had, a posture and position, so we can build up to that. Mm -hmm. But avoiding hamstring pulls during sprinting, that's going to be technique. Absolutely, mechanics 101 is going to be properly uh, sprinting and putting yourself in optimal position to one, go fast, and two, resist injury. 
Mm-hmm. So, assuming that there's a warm up. Um, yeah, absolutely. Right. Well, I always assume that people do warm ups, right? Well, you know what they say <laughs> when you assume. Uh, everyone else is an ass. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Uh, so let's uh, let's just talk in ter- technique in terms of technique. Now, assuming you're going through all of our our prep sequence or warm up sequence that we offer in our sprint program. And anytime we program sprints in field strong, you're going to see a sprint warm up sequence. So just assuming you're going through that. So the number one way that people are going to tear their hamstring during sprinting is going to be a loss of horizon. So now I want you to envision kind of just standing straight up as tall as you, as tall as you possibly can, not moving. And I want you to lift your chin up. So that is a change of horizon. Your vision changes. And we often see this during people's deadlifts, overstressed, or the thousand pull-ups that we see at our seminar that are incorrect. Mm-hmm. Anytime you lift your chin up during squat, deadlift, pull-up, that is a, also a change of horizon. So now imagine sprinting. You are sprinting all out for 40, 60, 120 yards, whatever you got on deck, and you start to fatigue, and you default to your lifting of your chin. The strain response. The strain I'm response. I'm straining so much that I'm reaching for whatever the fuck you're reaching for, and you don't even know you're doing it. Yep. So that changes your horizon. So your posture now is going to tilt backwards with that chin going up. And so ideally we're trying to keep our foot underneath our hips in that knee up toe up position. So we're really pushing into the ground, driving and propelling ourselves forward. But then when you drift backwards in your posture, your toe, your foot, it starts to drift out from underneath your hips. And instead of that knee up toe up position, you're really starting to kick out. So you're almost trying to grab the ground more with your hamstring and really pull yourself forward where it's just pressing into the ground and propelling yourself. So when that toe starts to get out in front of that knee after the chin lifts up and the back tilts backwards, then you're just putting too much stress on your hamstring and that's where we see the pulls, the tears, and so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. So this is something to keep in mind with kind of that straight ahead speed and then we definitely, if you start to really reach that foot out anytime and change your direction, that's when it becomes not a hamstring pull or a tear. It's going to be kind of a knee injury. Knee tweak. Yeah, knee tweak because the hamstring didn't do its job. Mm-hmm. So just in, uh, where do I, going back into that, not only is the chin reach a product of you falling to the level of your training, but so is, we talked about your skill transfer in your squat, your step, your lunge, right, Tex, in terms of, Yep. replicate the, the three points on skill transfer, internal, external structures, and muscle action. If you're the muscle action you're replicating in those lifts, in the step-ups, in the lunges, is the muscle action in sprinting, right? So you're preparing, your, like, you're learning how to sprint without sprinting, essentially. Yeah. And the idea behind replicating that muscle action is these movements become habits, proverbial defaults, where Right now, a poor default during a strain would be elevation of the shoulders and reaching the chin, which we see people do on deadlifts, which we see them do on pull-ups, the aforementioned movements we were talking about 10 minutes ago. So simply put, not doing that shit while you're training will help with your fucking hamstring pulls and tears. Yeah. So easier said than done. Yeah, uh, totally. I understand that. Uh, absolutely but that's where that's where the time should be spent Mm -hmm. in your training everyone's spending so much fucking time getting from point a to point b 
blasting heavyweights, putting numbers on the board, force production, and they're not working on alignment. Yeah. Right? So alignment is, this could maybe be our segue to the second question? Yeah. Uh, no, 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 not yet. we got okay. a lot to cover. We're still with sprinting. Okay. So Luke said that mention of force production, force production. That's a lot of time we're lifting weight. And then your pull, your tear, that is your muscle, its inability to dampen, be a dampening spring. So it couldn't reduce that force. Um, so how we can affect it, guys, we said not doing reaching your chin, blah, blah, blah. But, I mean, that's, that's Luke's favorite go coaching go-to is telling you not to do something. But let's put you in a position to do something. And so how I want you to fix your hamstrings is we're going to introduce kind of how to step up. So it's the forgotten primal. And fortunately, this week we got a video coming out teaching you how to perform a step up. So this is a, a crucial part of not only our speed program, our change of direction program, but all of our strength and conditioning programs from CrossFit football to field strong uh, to grindstone is teaching athletes how to step up. And it's going to bring the attention back to your posterior chain. So muscle stabilization, you're, you require, you're relying on your hamstring to really pull that action and perform that step up. And then it's going to program your body how to pull properly when it comes to sprinting and not overextending and relying too much on that quad. So some limiting factors, guys, that we see on the, see on the step up are simple as this. One, lack of application. So people do not include it in the programs. And then the people that are doing it on programs, lack of proper execution. So uh, this is everywhere from foot placement to kind of loading the hamstring, opening up the hips and attacking all the limiting factors that prevent you from running and sprinting. We can correct those with the simple movement and application of a step up. There you go. Yeah. So, guys, keep your eyes out for that article, that video that kind of break all that down. Mm -hmm. And then this is how we need you to step up from here on out, which should then carry over to your sprinting and then not doing all those things that Luke talked about. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I guess going back to the warm-up and going back to skill transfer and connecting the step-up as well, all of this stuff, the reason we're giving you these, this particular sequence of warm-ups in the speed program, we're expecting proper execution. Proper execution comes back to skill transfer and transfer and training. So we're resetting your default with these movements. We're giving you all these opportunities and all these reps so that eventually they become habit. But you, you need to really understand that. And uh, some of the people who go to the seminar, they eventually, they, they get it, right? They pick up on it. Um, you don't know what you don't know essentially. Yeah. So a, a good way is, you know, if you're following that speed program and you're watching the movement demos associated, because all the, all the demos have linked or all the movements have linked movement demos, take, pay very particular attention to how the body is aligned, how the legs are aligned, the knees are aligned, joint alignment, kinetic alignment, pay close attention. And the expectation is you're, you're doing exactly that, exactly that movement. And you'll see you'll, in the step-up video that we put together, you're going to see what we're talking about. Um, yeah, so let me uh, just just a quick build and kind of how we learn. So this is something that I had opportunity to present at 2015 Power Athlete Symposium. Mm -hmm. And this is something that I introduced. Uh, so I went to school for health promotion. It's a lot of health promotion uh, behavior change models. And one of the ones that I picked up and held on to as I got into strength and conditioning was called a competency model. 
So much like people pick up or change behaviors like smoking and nutrition and kind of health-related stuff, it's the same way that we take on coaching and learning. So simple breakdown, first, first stage of this is going to be called unconscious incompetence. This is where an individual does not understand or know how to do something, but they do not even appreciate the coaching or the advice that you're trying to give them. They ignore you, they write you off, or they assume, hey, I can step up. What does this guy know? Because we get fucking technical with even the simplest lifts, mm -hmm. so that way we put you in a position to execute. But I mean, we sometimes get this at the seminar, and I know all the coaches out there have had one athlete that just writes you off, is not going to pay attention. What stage he's in is currently unconscious incompetence. This eventually, once you break him down or make a connection or, you know, coach, leads to conscious incompetence. This is where you're going to experience a lot of athletes, whether they're in high school, CrossFit setting, or kind of those freshmen in college. This is when the individual does not understand how to do something, but they're putting conscious effort towards proper execution. So once we put out the step-up video and you kind of break it down and watch, that kind of steady thought process as you're executing it and trying to do it properly as you witness in the video or read about in the description, that is going to be conscious incompetence. Finally, when you start to actually pick it up and execute it properly, you enter conscious competence. This is when you understand how to do something, but you must turn your mind on and execute it properly. And if you're not thinking about it, you don't execute it properly, which then eventually leads to, once you get through that, guys, it's going to be unconscious competence. And this is, you don't have to think about the movement. You can really overload and stress that movement pattern, go as fast as you fucking can, but you're still executing it as if you're thinking about it, mm -hmm. which when we're working with field court, rink sport athletes, this is what we want to gradually build up towards. Mm -hmm. So it is a process of development, a learning curve, but, I mean, we do this with all of our primal movements. And then that eventually leads to, hey, just go fast, and they're mm -hmm. able to seamlessly and effortlessly combine all those primal movement patterns through space to perform, you know, what are those things? No, novel tasks? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good definition for athleticism. Sounds like it. So, I mean, once you get on that speed program in the eight weeks, it's almost inherently built in. Right. But uh, then jumping into posture position? Sure. So as, as we're talking, as Tex, you go find, through and find the sucker, as we talk about, you know, proper execution and resetting the default, what we're talking specifically about is basically joint alignment and trunk position uh, relative to hip action, arm action, right? So this is a concept we often refer to at the seminar as posture and position. So Tex. So here's a question from T-U-P-K-E-S to Tupkis, Tupkis. All right. Can you expand upon posture and position as discussed in the cert? You cover primal movement patterns a lot on the podcast, but don't talk as much about power athletes philosophy on posture and position. I really like the idea of how in sport, we are actually always fighting to get back to proper posture and position and how practice in the gym leads to execution on the field. You want to lead us off? All right. So, Sure. Posture, when we, posture and position is really an element of what we would call body awareness, right? So understanding goes through the same competency model text just took you through. But 
when we talk about posture and position, we typically are talking about best replicating the universal athletic position, which is a bilateral stance. We have, a, if you go look at our seesaw walk promo or demo on, uh, on Power Athlete HQ, Callie and I introduced that uh, universal athletic position and then eventually go into a lightsaber war. But that's a fact. Posture and position is, is going to be challenged in any strength and conditioning program using a barbell or adding any stress, right? External elements like a barbell, a dumbbell, kettlebell, center mass bells, chains. Um, and then we're going to add stress outside of just load and implements in a couple other ways. The next form of stress is going to be plane of motion. So it's maintaining posture and position and line of action through different planes of motion our sagittal frontal and transverse. Now, how do we layer on even more stress to those two forms of stress? It's by elevating the heart rate, fatiguing you, or asking you to accomplish those same exact tasks under fatigue. Uh, but our goal as a coach is to take you to the boiling point, and, but not that breaking point. But that's just going to be impossible. You're eventually going to hit that breaking point. But we want to break you uh, in, in types of movements that are not going to hurt you. So the best place to do that is going to be our isometrics, our body weight isometric holds and stuff like that. And seeing you fall apart in those types of things, our pillars, our Captain Morgans, our side pillars. Uh, and then the best way we know to challenge that universal athletic position is with the barbell back squat, which is why it is the center stone movement in our program, right? And then when we talk about proper line of action and transfer and training there, uh, that's a whole other story that, you know, I guess we talk about at the seminar. Yeah. And so this was the concept of posture and position. It was the aha moment when I first attended the seminar way back in 2009. So how John presented it was body awareness and the responsibility of him as a guard and a tackle was to maintain his posture and position. So if a defensive lineman was able to change his posture or take away his position on the field or the way that athlete was moving around him caused him to lose his position, he failed. So loss of position could cost the, you know, the, the running back to play or the quarterback the opportunity to pass the ball and make a play. So how I took that is I played defense to lacrosse in college. So if I lost my position on the field, it messed up our whole defensive scheme and package. So making that performance perspective connection for me in kind of John's presentation, that's what it was. Mm -hmm. And where do we see in a lift? And external stress and all the stress Luke just mentions, the opportunity to challenge our athlete put them in a position to fail and lose. So that way it's in a lower stress environment than practice, but they create the mentality of I'm going to fight for posture and position underneath a bar or as I'm moving through space, which then carries over to the field in practice. I'm fighting to maintain my posture and position against my, my teammate, my current opponent. And then coaches see that, then it leads to more opportunity in game day because they're more reliable in maintaining their posture and position but it all trickles back down to preparing that athlete for the demand of fighting for posture and position in sport. So we can even get further into this because we always stress perfect posture position, that dead bug setup in all of our lists. So guess where sport is played though? You're always going to lose posture and position on the field. It's played at this imperfection of movement. So what we're trying to do then with training is increase our athlete's margin of error. So we take a two-step two approach to this. Uh, first is putting our athletes in a position to decrease the amount of time that's spent for them to 
to correct and reacquire posture and position. We want to speed that process up almost because it ha happens at an instant on the field. So imagine a, a third baseman, for example, on the hot corner, gets a freaking ball thrown right to him, takes him out of his per perfect posture and position. We want to decrease the amount of time it takes for him to get set up and make the play at first. Second perspective is going to be the accuracy of the calculation that the body makes at the joint's position from the information it receives at full speed during a game. So keeping the third baseman as the example, again, freaking ball hit right to him, but we're working against Ichiro or some speedster on the way to first. He doesn't have time to accurately get set up and make the play. So what does he do? At an imperfect posture and position, his body has to respond just as, as lightning speed to throw and be accurate with that pit with the throw to first in an improper position. So when we're in training, we're trying to overload and challenge and enhance an athlete's ability to maintain posture and position at overload. But we're also putting them in a position when we introduce uh, our form of conditioning, that multiplanar change of direction approach to then have accurate calculations and speed up their recovery back to it. So it's, it, 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 we're trying to simplify it, guys, but then when we really get down into it, if you looked at our programs, you'd be able to see this stuff, but then piecing it together, you must be smart and intelligent, so that way you don't put your athlete in a position to really kind of fuck up their coordination or their accuracy or mm -hmm. anything. But, I mean, as a, just an overall rule. Golden rule. Yeah. Do no harm and, like, understand – train your coach's eye to understand what a good posture and position is. Yeah. And we, we also use this line a, a lot. This is old Charlie Francis approach. If it don't look right, don't fly right. <laughs> but the adaptation is if it looks weird, it is weird or better yet. If you're an athlete, slow down when you're moving or not even slow down, but keep going fast, but slow your thought process down and ask yourself, does this feel weird? Cause if it feels weird, it is weird. Right? So uh, text, what do you want to pop to next? I was in the zone. I wasn't even reading. Oh, shit. Uh, so why don't I'll, here, I'll just, uh, I'll pick one real quick. Uh, thoughts on LSD, long, slow distance training, specifically running, and how to combine it with grindstone. Repeats versus steady frequency, et cetera. Training for 1.5 mile run for a fitness test at work. And that's from my boy, Fat Bastard123. I mean, gotta love that name. <laughs> But um, so dudes fall on grindstone. Grindstones are programmed for, I guess, the, the busy professional, right? It, it's partitioned into two mandatory training days, which are your heavy volume days. You have two uh, recommended days, which are your medium days, and then your two optional days. Um, I guess, you know, in, you, backing up, if you're following that program, then you align the training throughout the week so you can tackle it as best you can, right? Um, so what we're looking for is you to find your two training days where you can put in the best efforts. And I guess what I would do is I would add my runs to my, my optional days, right. Or my recommended days. So I wouldn't compromise the training intensity of your mandatory days. What I would do is just fucking go run 1.5 mile runs until you get your time and always go as fast as you can. I mean, I don't know how much time this dude has, but the one thing uh, I would set it goal time. Mm -hmm. So I believe if you're taking a test, then they have a set standard. 
whether it's 14 minutes in college, we had a nine and a half minute. You had to hit a mile and a half in nine and a half minutes. Mm-hmm. So approach you could be is set your goal time. So yeah. let's, let's just compromise and say you want to run 10 minutes. So it's 10 minutes to hit your mile and a half. Well, on that day that you hit running and training, you could just go go jog or go run for 10 minutes. Warmed up and everything though. Proper warm up. Go run for 10 minutes like you're taking the test. See how far you get. Yeah. And then always take that 10-minute approach so that way we're never taking away from, I mean, the, the grindstone training, but you're also preparing for your test mm-hmm. without neglecting any other of you know, the stuff that matters. Now, as you look at the <laughs> that we feel matters, but as you look at this stuff, um, and uh, this, is, this is a considerable amount of volume to your training, right? I mean, and this volume will affect your ability to perform potentially if you're stacking it before your mandatory day. So let's just put a scenario out. My, my mandatory days are Tuesdays and Thursdays. If on Monday I'm going for my 1.5 mile run or my 10 minute variation of the run, um, that's going to affect my, my Tuesday training and vice versa. So I guess what I would also take into consideration, give yourself a day or two pro, like, uh, before your mandatory days to, to get this stuff in. So that's how I would pair it in there. Um, in terms of like repeats versus steady frequency, etc. for 1.5 miles, like, and I, I don't know how high the standard is on this thing either. Um, I think you just kind of get after it and you go and you go and you go. It doesn't have to get that jiggy. You know, when you get into like the repeat stuff and kind of get real jiggy with it and sexy with it, that's when you've, uh, is there like, what we would refer to as our base level of strength. Like you just got to kind of linear progress. And then as you plateau, that's when you get jiggy with it. I'm guessing that this fucking fitness test isn't like a world-class time these guys are looking for. And I think you could really just get, get it with a uh, proper warm up in a couple days a week, smashing the, the distance stuff. Yeah. And staying healthy. Yeah. Stay healthy. Right. You get hurt training for the damn test. Now, uh, we're going to go ahead and shift over to a little nutrition theme here. And I've decided to phone in a friend because Tex and I, while I know enough to be dangerous and uh, and Tex knows nothing, um, I've got Leia K and I've got Tyler on the phone here. They're our nutrition team. Uh, what's going on, guys? What's up? So, Leia, you just okay. saw Sausage Party? Hang on. I did. I need an update. I did. And? Dude, it's. It's hilarious, but it's fucking terrible sometimes. Don't go see it with, you know, relatives that you might be embarrassed to see it with. <laughs> uh, so not my parents. Did y'all ever see movies that were, like, fucking sexually driven with your parents? That was always awkward. Yeah, dude. Uh, yeah, I saw a Sam one time with my dad, and there's some really weird sex scenes in there, and that was awkward. That basketball, American Pie 2. I mean, yeah, okay. <laughs> American Pie 2 with your parents. That's the only way I could get in. <laughs> oh, Tex, dude. My earliest, like, rated R moment that I can remember watching and my mom being, like, yelling at my dad, like, Rand! and coming and slapping her hand on my eyes was fucking Top Gun. <laughs> what? Yeah, dude. Where, the volleyball scene? No, take me to better lose, your big stud, take me to better lose me for the volleyball scene. <laughs> Why did that take five fucking seconds to, like, calculate? But uh, no, that that movie looks legit. Tyler, what's going on with you, man? Not a lot. Just uh, just some clients today busting out some uh, some new blog info. Another day, 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, but I'm just going to start with a question that all of us could participate on, and I'll give you my personal thoughts. What is the most powerful food between pizza or donuts? Who's going first? Ladies first. Leia, what's up? What are you thinking? Pizza. Because you can put meat on it. Yeah. Well, you can put meat on a donut theoretically, right? I actually have had a bacon donut once, so I guess that's true. I'm going to go with you on pizza because let me tell you something. I'm not part of like the donut bandwagon. Yes. Like, you know, and Tyler, I love the quote that you fucking, you put like you combine coffee with donuts, you got an apparel line. Like I just, the donut <laughs> thing, you know, I don't know. I can remember eating them as a kid and I just don't really dig on them, man. I, but I will smash some pizza and candidly, like I prefer a pizza pizza, kind of like the crustless style. Um, you know, where you get like a, a sausage-based crust and then throw some toppings on there. A sausage party? Yeah, sausage Ooh. party all day. So I think we should start a new clothing line. You ready for this? Okay. Paloff Press and Pizza. Pizza is the untapped clothing line. Everybody does donuts and deadlifts and all that other shit, but nobody does a, a Paloff Press. <laughs> we'll, we'll have a description on the back. <laughs> <laughs> This is why you're not in charge of marketing. It's available on Instagram. I'm getting it right now. <laughs> uh, so what are you saying? Text pizza or donuts? Uh, definitely pizza because that's how I like my pancakes oh, in Dutch. We were just telling – we were talking earlier. We in, in the Netherlands, pancakes is like a local delicacy or like one of their specialties is pancakes every day. And uh, they have them for dinner, but they put like meat and cheese and sauce and everything on there. So it was, it was killer. But – Tyler, what are you thinking, donuts or pizza? Uh, definitely pizza. I just, I've, I've never been a huge donut fan. I, just, I don't get the hipster craze. It's, it's like bacon was several years ago, which I could get behind, but, <laughs> but donuts, give, give me a break. All right, well, let's get into like some fucking why, why I called you guys on. Um, so we got a question from Phil Sal. Do you guys recommend taking any digestive aids to improve digestion while following the nutrition program? So, I mean, I guess – it, it, depending on whether you're on the leaning protocol, I mean, maybe differentiate if you're on leaning or keto or bulking or performance, maybe. So I don't know who wants to take this one or to start. Well, I, mean, I think, I mean, I think a lot of people need digestive aids, but the problem is, is that it's something that's kind of hard to just hand out because there's a lot of different kinds. So there's digestive aids that help with like, is do you have low stomach acid or there's digestive aids that help if your pancreas is insufficient or if your gallbladder is insufficient. So from practice, uh, I think a lot of people could benefit from some type of digestive aid, but it's really takes some testing to figure out which one you would want to take or need to take depending on who you are. I don't know, Tyler, what you... Yeah, I, I'm, I, no, I'm with you on that, but I'll also add that one of the problems I see with people that are having digestive issues that are following our plans or, or really any any change in health, like like a plan derived for that, is they're just not eating enough fiber. Like they're not getting vegetables. They go to an all-meat, carb, and, and fat diet, and they're completely um, bastardizing the, the Roy G. Biv principles of, of you know eating colorful veggies at their meals. You know? So a lot of times I think – they could combat it with just, you know, adding more veggies into their food. But beyond that, yeah, it, it depends on what your exact digestive issue is. So let me, let's, so why would, why, why do you think this guy's asking this? Like what are signs that you might need digestive aids? 
I think a lot of people get bloating and like gas and stuff um, sometimes when they change their diet or just in general, a lot of people kind of suffer from things like that. So you've either got like food sensitivities that you don't know you're dealing with or you've got some issues with digestive aids or like a lot of people have been put on like um, acid blockers because they have like reflux and stuff. And so their doctor puts them on acid blockers and then it kills the body's ability to produce stomach acid well. So then you, when you eat certain foods, like you can't break it down fast enough. So I could see how that would be a common complaint, like bloating, gas, just that fullness. Um, and the guy wondering if maybe digestive aids would help him. Um, that's usually what I see. And then what, so Leah, would you, like you said, kind of take some experimenting. So it would be something like, you know, get a relatively consistent diet that is, I guess, um, like put something together that has a, is relatively inclusive of like our eat with abandon stuff. Right. So, right. You, and then get like a good, I don't know, get like a fucking good cadence going, maybe like a three week cadence of varied foods and then see if any specific food is triggering it. Yeah. Elimination diet. I mean, if you, if you do, if you follow any of our protocols and we pull out, um, you know, most of the inflammatory foods, a lot of times people's issues will resolve themselves, especially like dairy can be a big one for people that causes a lot of like bloat gas or whatever. Um, and so they pull it and they feel better and mm -hmm. they add it back in and they feel worse. So that is the first step kind of. And then after that, you know, you can kind of, or even like Tyler said, even if you pick our plan, but then you don't really follow the adding enough veggies, you're like, well, I got my meat, my starch, I'm not eat eating inflammatory foods. Mm -hmm. um, so throw in adequate fiber. And if you still got issues, then maybe kind of look at um, digestive aids. Yeah. So then you go through that, the, that iteration of each type of aid for a couple of weeks and see if that does it. And then you start to target in on, on what you're looking for. Yeah. Or I tell people to start like really basic. A lot of times we'll just start them with some like peps and HCL or something like the stomach acid stuff and then do more unless they've got some issue. Like if you had your gallbladder removed, then yeah, you're going to have problems digesting food, digesting right. fats specifically. So there's certain foods, uh, I mean, uh, digestive aids for that just depends on what your particular deal is. Cool. And then let's go, let's try and jump on this one here. Um, and we can, I mean, I'll let you guys kind of handle it. This is from uh, CrossFit Catal. Um, what is your guys' take on all of the multi-level marketing supplements, i.e. Plexus, Limo, Advocare, Crescendo, uh, et cetera? They, so, and then I'll give you the second part here too. Um, we give a nutrition class once a month and a lecture uh, and lecture the nutrition template from CrossFit football power athlete, uh, which is basically, all right, spoiler alert, you know, eat nutrient dense foods, don't eat grains and anything else that is like has poor nutrient density or damages your gut. Um, select fats with a mono or monounsaturated saturated fats with, with good fatty acid profile, like, like your animal fats, your coconut, your butter, uh, olives. And then, uh, you know, don't be weird and have solid balance and try to eat every color of the rainbow every day. Right. Is that the lecture basically guys? Basically. <laughs> but, uh, so that, that's what they're telling their people. Right. And then, uh, basically it's hard enough to get most people's head that you can't out supplement a shitty diet. Uh, and when I'm approached at the gym about carrying some of the products, I politely decline. So, uh, I think he's in the right headspace, but I'll let you guys kind of take it. I mean, Tyler, you popped off and it seems like you're, you're chomping at the bits here. So what's up? Yeah. I, I love the multi-level marketing stuff. It's awesome. It's fun. Um, 
So the one thing that I always say, and like anytime I do a nutrition seminar or, or any of this, um, and when people try to get my UFC guys on, you know, in particular Advocare, I, I want to choke them. Um, the whole concept, and the one big thing that I always say, if any diet is trying to sell you on drinking a shake instead of eating real food, like they don't have your health in mind. They have your money in mind. You know, and that's all they care about. Number one, like we, we have to look at that. Like we never would have someone do a supplement over real food. So if they're automatically telling you to supplement real food, you know, with their product, it's automatic BS. It's not even really worth diving into the, all the different reasons it is. Um, and beyond that, man, it's, it's, it's just, it's, you're, you're literally, you're trying to tell these people that they need these supplements to, to, to live a healthy lifestyle. And it's just, it's, it's irresponsible. It's skipping steps. It's, it's lazy. It's just, it, I have a lot of fundamental issues with it. Let's try to get people eating the way they should, eating good quality food, um, eating large amounts of it, getting them to recover, you know, surprise enough, the things that we teach. Let's get these people to do this and then tell me if they need these supplements added in their diet. You know, I, I just never see it. I don't, I never see a need for the things they're trying to sell if someone's doing all the things they should be doing anyway. So essentially it's like, I mean, it's just pitching the shortcut, right? Where, exactly. You know, for a lot of money. It's a very expensive shortcut. Yeah. Leia, anything else on there? Um, no, I mean, I'm kind of in the same boat. I, I totally all transparency. I'm actually part of a multi-level marketing company that has nothing to do with nutrition. So, uh, because I was approached multiple times by various nutrition or supplement type companies that are in, I actually like MLM businesses. I think you can do really well with them, but you, none of the products that I was ever pitched for any like supplement company or nutrition or, or whatever company ever could make the cut for me. Like I just look at the, and maybe there was one or two things that was like, Oh, this is all right. I mean, it's similar to something else I have, but I couldn't look through the whole gamut of what they were offering and, and find products that I wanted to sell. I can't, you know, I just couldn't advocate for most of them. So, um, we've never done any kind of nutritional MLM, you know, Plexus or Avocare, any of that stuff. Cause they just don't make a good enough product. I mean, if yep. there was a company that made a really great product and it was all, you know, then fine. Sure. Show it to me, but it's not, I just haven't found it yet. So. And do I you guys, I mean, you guys are still in the, the commercial gym business or you, you got people looking yeah. for shortcuts and everything like this. I mean, how do you, how do you kind of manage those people? Yeah. I mean, it happens. People aren't. No, go, go, go Tyler. No, I was going to say like we, you know, I sell some supplements. I sell like driven nutrition out of my gym, but at the same time, like all of my people are, are, are well educated in the fact that, Hey, like, you know, you're, you're eating how we should, you're eating how we should, like how we have you, you want to have some creatine. This is a creatine that I like. This is, this is a protein for like an intra workout. It's all that, but there's no, there's there, you know, we're, we're not selling them on these magic drugs. Um, you know, one in one in particular, their, their golden boy product is caffeinated branch chain amino acids. And we're telling people to just, put down their soda and drink this instead. And we're still giving them caffeine all day. So I see people, you know, 10 PM drinking their caffeinated BCAAs because a, a diet Coke was bad for them. Like, Get out of here. Yeah. And I mean, we our our people are still, we saw some products in the gym. Uh, I mean, we have a, a couple of proteins and 
basic stuff like that. But nobody is, what's funny is most of our clients actually, they don't know that we sell that stuff until way later into their experience at the gym because they're, I mean, we're talking about them to them about diet and stuff first. Um, so they're fixing what they're eating. And then we introduce some of the supplements that I actually think can be helpful, like a protein. Um, I mean, I take a creatine. We talk about that. Um, but yeah, we don't have any magic, like go to sleep and you're going to wake up 10 pounds thinner drink yeah, or something right. like that. The yeah. biohack, man. Fuck that yeah. There's no, there's no biohack. But, uh, and then I guess I'll, we'll just jump forward to the, the next question because I know, Tyler, you got to get coaching here shortly. Um, guys asking, my man, CMPC83, I'm going to click through to see if there's anything on this guy. What's his deal? Christopher, he likes music, coffee, wine, and lifting. Not bad. Um, he wants to know uh, what, like, if someone's looking to get more nutrition, like a nutrition certification or nutrition seminars, like, what, what do you, are you guys plugged into that stuff? What do you recommend? What What's... Uh, I guess void of bullshit and uh, and I guess uh, any recommendations obviously besides the CrossFit football nutrition's portion of the seminar. Yeah, I mean, I can I I'm actually in a program right now um, or I just started a nutrition. The thing is is that out most of what we believe in nutritionally is not being pushed by your your basic nutrition courses that you're going to find in college. Mm -hmm. So if somebody's really into nutrition and they're like, I really want to get into nutrition and maybe even get some kind of a degree or something, you are not going to find what you are looking for at a university, at a regular. There's a couple, there's two that I know of. One of them is University of Western States in Portland. They have a great program. It's a functional medicine type program, but it's freaking like $20,000. And there's another one in California, I think. But there's a couple of really good um, like certification programs out there. Um, one of them that I'm doing right now is actually uh, the Nutritional Therapy Practitioner Program. So the NTP program has bases. It's online, and then it has um, some weekend uh, workshops. And it's much more functionally medicine-based, a lot more you know, whole foods, I would say power athlete style nutrition with kind of a little bit more of a, of a medical ish, um, insert into a little more detail. And obviously still, you're not going to agree with everything that people say, but it's much more what we're kind of advocating something like that, but it's hard yeah. to find. They are hard to find. Yeah. And I mean, I think that's with any certification or any opportunity to go and learn from somebody, you know, we, we had, to, <laughs> we had a guy at the seminar, uh, this weekend who is, was an Olympic lifter, true and true, right? Pim. And uh, we just kind of use Bruce Lee's quote, like empty your cup, like go in, you know, dump out everything you know and put it in a little sack and then tie it up and throw it in the, the bottom drawer and go in ready to learn. And then, you know, it's your responsibility then after that to align your personal philosophies. And uh, like you said, Leah, you're not going to hear 100% everything you agree with, everything you want to hear. But, you know, th that's the whole point is you go through and you try to pick up your nuggets, sharpen your blade and, uh, and just get better, right? So, Tyler, do you have anything to throw in there or no? Um, yeah, no, I, I, was, I was unfamiliar with the one that she mentioned. So, I mean, Leah's very, very intelligent with this stuff. So, if she's taking it, I'm sure that's a good one. Uh, beyond that, though, I, you know, I do agree with her. There's just – there's not much out there. I, you know, I went to college for nutrition dietetics, and pretty much you're going to pay them a lot of money to force feed you 
information on how to give people diabetes with the government food guide pyramid. Um, so it's just, you know, it's, you're going to have to look at who's giving you this information and, you know, like what's their agenda. Um, I just, I, I've, until Liam mentioned that one, it sounds pretty good. I've not seen one that was really worth doing. Rob Wolf used to have a really good one um, at one time that was great, um, you know, and, you know, that was good. And I'm sure there's, there's still some stuff out there. But if you're just wanting to know for you, it's just something you're kind of interested in, like just sign up for a nutrition consult. I'll tell you anything you want to know. But I'll, I'm just going to take the opposite side here, a, a degree or a certification, and it could just kind of be the hook, the commonplace that a – uh, a client is looking for uh -huh. that could then get them to listen more to you and then the information you do provide. So you don't have to subscribe to whatever it is that they're teaching, but at the same time, it then you got nothing to lose. Yeah, sure. Sure. You know that Tyler Mitten always sugar coating everything. You guys get it? You get <laughs> sugar? <laughs> hey, okay. And we just, uh, another, one last question float in guys. I think it's a pretty good one. Um, this is from Andrew uh, Welchel 54. He wants to know, do you have any nutrition advice for people who often find themselves working overtime awake for 24 hours or more, nurses, law enforcement, military? He's currently on the leaning protocol, three meals a day. Um, what should he consume macro-wise if he's working past the standard work hours and awake for nearly 24 hours? What do you guys think? Who wants to jump on? Well, first off, like if he has to do the three meals, then that's one thing. But if possible, I would try to move that to the five mils just to kind of spread that out a bit. Um, you know, that, that's going to do a lot of the work for him, just kind of having him, you know, already prepared for that. Uh, beyond that, it, you know, depends on what that job actually is. If it's a pretty active job, he's still going to need a pretty balanced approach. Um, you know, I have nurses that sometimes have 24 hours and we're going to give them a little bit more carbs throughout the night than my, say, my police officer who's basically in a car um, throughout the night. So, you know, my basic recommendation, switch that to five. If you still need more meals, um, look at exactly what it is you're doing in that 24 hours if you're pretty active. Um, you know, just kind of uh, maybe add uh, – I would keep it on the lower end, um, but add add a little bit to that through each macronutrient. If you're not really active, I would just kind of keep the carbs down a little bit and favor protein and fat a bit. Roger that. Leah, anything else to jump on there? Um, no, I mean, that's tough. I was, when I was in nursing school, I actually worked, um, night shift for a semester when I was in labor and delivery. And it was funny because my preceptor, they called it, or the person who I was following, she didn't eat all evening. She, all night, she would eat dinner when, before she came and she wouldn't eat again until she got off shift because she was afraid it would make her sleepy. And like if she ate, she got tired and she didn't feel like she was going to do um, her job well, like watch the newborn strips and stuff. So um, obviously I didn't agree with it. But when I was working, we only had the opportunity to eat once because you had your break and that was it. Um, so you, sometimes you got to do the three meals. And if you're up, like some of the guys that we have at the gym that do like fire that are on 24 or more. Um, they tend to pretty much space their meals out just like they would during the day they would eat. And if they're on for 24, they would do it, you know, they would still eat every four to five hours, depending because you're awake and you got to feed your brain and, and, you know, keep yourself ready to go, especially in that situation. 
Um, specific macros is really hard to tell what, you know, what anybody would need without a consult. You definitely, I mean, getting, getting like a meal plan type thing from us would be, would be the only way that we could really do anything specific. But I think unless, like he said, you're super active doing, um, lower carb and more on the protein fat realm is probably a better idea because you're going to be riding some cortisol wave anyway. And if you're doing like a ton of carbs and you're not really super active and you're up all night, like it's probably not going to work out real well as far as leaning. Um, but yeah, again, specifics for that. It's, we really got to know like what your job is and how long you're doing it and all that stuff that comes with our meal plans. Um, so if that's not, you know, what you got going on, then you're just kind of some general advice, like space the meals out. Don't go too crazy with the carbs and make the best of it. Boom. There you go. And sleep like a motherfucker whenever you can. Yeah, for real. Definitely. I used to get seriously, it's crazy when you do night shifts and stuff. I would leave the hospital every time my shift was over. It was like, you know, seven 30 or whatever. And I had to drive by a water burger on the way home every time and every fucking morning I was like, don't stop. You don't need any, because your cortisol and you're like all stressed from being up all night. And sometimes you had crazy deliveries and you're just like, ah, oh, I just want to eat a water burger and yeah, go I just to need bed. that food hug. Yeah. And it was, it was tough. <laughs> no, that's awesome. Cruel and unusual punishment. Well, honestly guys, thanks for jumping on from nutrition stuff. Um, you know, I'll pop back. I'll give you guys a ring too if we need anything else, but we'll talk to you later. All right. All right, Bye. Bye. <clears throat> All right Tex, what's our next one we got here going? All right. So we have uh, about three good questions that kind of flow together. We can tackle with one single response. So this is from Tdun14. Just strained my lower back. Words of advice for getting back on track. I've been lifting over four years now, but recently took a few weeks off and injured it squatting on the return to lifting so let me jump at the other questions while and let's make some connections for these guys this is from sheldonius how do you guys address a pinch in the front of the hips during the squat assuming the doctor has cleared the athlete and then uh, my boy p tier out in freaking eastern europe do you guys have tricks and tips on how to survive sitting in a day in, in class all day. Mm -hmm. So these are all connected. All right. So uh, just in terms of the, the injury and the lifting, I guarantee your mechanics were off somehow, some way. Mm -hmm. And so when you got back into it after four, after some time off, then you just had a, just a moment of weakness, a miscoordination, a misstep. And then that caused that, that tweak. Um, so then we talk about mechanics going to be that anterior pelvic tilt that could have been the same issue. So if we're combining Sheldonius, this question with, uh, with 14s up top, mm -hmm. that anterior pelvic tilt that people misconstrue the cue of push your hips back right. is a killer. Sure. And it can be, well, I mean that front hip pinch, which is speaking from personal experience before I was enlightened can also be a quad issue. So if you're even if you have anterior pelvic tilt, but you're sitting, you're squatting into your quads, that has in the past for me personally been a what felt like a hip problem. And the fucking problem text was I wasn't sitting back into this fucking squat. It was just that simple. I would pitch forward and I would come up too far forward, and then all of a sudden I feel a, a pinch in my hip. So 
it's an anterior pelvic tilt. Uh, fix that sucker. How are we going to learn how to fix it? Seesaw walk, uh, dead bug, um, lunging. Uh, what else? I mean, every all of our warm-up stuff, it comes back to resetting that default. And then just being sure you have the proper line of action. I guess what I would also tinker with with that hip pinch deal uh, is potentially width. Right? Okay, so here's what happens. You got that neutral hip. It looks like they're sitting back, but all of a sudden, boom, they're getting a grab. Well, let's tinker with a wider, narrower stance. Toes forward, right? Uh, make sure the knees are tracking over the instep. We're not excessively externally rotated. Knees aren't drifting outside the toe box, which would be like imagine drawing a box around your feet in the outside of your feet. Um, uh, yeah, we got to fix that. So uh, then going into uh, the sitting, right? Mm -hmm. uh, K-Star has his best bound book, right? And I talked with Ant about it uh, as well, just because I always like to bounce stuff off Ant because he, he's like us. He'll like try to find something to pick apart. And that's Anthony Lowe, the physio detective. Uh, but basically what K-Star gives you is cool little routines. Uh, to, like if you're sitting down to casually, like uh, uh, open your hips, right? External rotation. Um, some of it's realistic for being in a classroom setting. Some of it's not because like, it's like fucking squatting on your chair and shit. Or maybe you can if you go in the back. I don't know. But as long as you're paying attention. Yeah, sure. Uh, but like there's some external rotation stuff. But what it's missing, I guess, is the internal, internal rotation drills. So just find ways to internally rotate as well because it's not a bad thing as long as you're not fucking squatting a barbell for you to internally rotate with a bent knee. You know, go into the proverbial valgus knee position. Um, like just in feel like uh, fucking internally rotate. And you should take this approach all day. Mm -hmm. So it's not just don't wait until you start to feel uncomfortable. Yeah. So Peter's well versed in our, our dead bug, our Spider-Man and seesaw walk. So that should start your day. Mm -hmm. If you know that you got to freaking sit down for the next eight hours or whatever it is, put yourself in an optimal position to go into a, just a relaxed state. And then, I mean, uh, going back to class, I don't think a teacher would get mad if you just stood up and stood in the back. You're still dialed in and paying attention. You're just not desk bound. Mm -hmm. So that could be approach. Uh, so bottom line, just dead bug, right? <laughs> yeah. Mid-class. Yep. On your desk. There you go. Nothing wrong with that. What do we got next here, Tex? I'm going to take a, uh, a question here. Uh, I can. I think I can turn it into a very educational experience. So we got this from Catcher's Heel. So how do you train a football defensive back from a D at lacrosse D midi? So guys, we're going to take the same approach to training both of these athletes. Recall that there is no such thing as sports specific training, right? The only thing that's sports specific is practice talking about practice. So what we need to realize is that both of these athletes have similar kind of demands. Your job is to basically get in the way. You're present, preventing kind of a wide receiver getting off the line, just as if you're preventing uh, a midi from getting to where they're supposed to be. We're calling back to our posture and position discussion earlier. So what we're going to do now is just break down the, the steps that are required for both of these. Uh, lacrosse, you have the opportunity to get a hell of a lot more physical than a defensive back, you know, after five yards. So they have to be more precise and accurate in their, their approach to this. But what we're going to do is just kind of break down the steps. So sport, there are only four steps that athletes can ever do. And we talk about this at the CrossFit Football Seminar. The first is going to be a forward step. So imagine you're in your athletic position or your ready stance uh, as a cornerback, and you want to step up and decrease that space between you and the wide receiver. You want to jam him up off the line. You're not going to do like a drop 
drop step. You're not going to do a false step, a plyo step. You're just going to step forward and try to get to them. So forward step. It's also benefit uh, laxmity. Then we have our open step. So that's where you kind of push off the trail foot and really open with the lead foot no matter what direction you're going. So this is going to benefit you if they're kind of running a slant or in lacrosse, this is going to benefit you if they're just trying to run or dodge to your right or left, the side. The next step we got is a, a crossover step. So this is a, kind of a, imagine a wide receiver. He goes towards your right and all of a sudden changes across your body. You're going to have to perform a crossover step to get in the position to change the direction where he's going. So same deal with lacrosse. So a crossover step, that's going to be where you actively use your adductors to pull your body across. And finally is that false step, that drop step, that plyo step that we discussed. So if we're able to take these both athletes, put in the same training session, and just practice these different steps and footwork from our athletic position or the DB starting position, then we're going to be in an optimal position to train both these athletes to be successful at their jobs and responsibility on the field. We wouldn't do anything different. Then they can take these tools, these four steps that they learned and mastered and practiced, and then learn how to use them specifically for their sport in practice, sport-specific training, right? Yeah, the sport-specific application. Application. One might say. The ass-backwards <laughs> approach. Approach. <laughs> ass. Um, so, again, we're not going to look – to get specific or jiggy with these guys, we're just going to tra train them the basic footwork, basic approach to front of, fucking getting in the way. So, Luke, here's a fun fact. I'm listening. Where I discovered my favorite coaching tool, where you're like, just don't do that. Mm -hmm. My favorite's to get in the way. And where I discovered this was just playing sport. You know, my job. I was middle linebacker football, and then a defensive back, a defensive midi in lacrosse responsibility. Get in the way. Mm -hmm. So that's where I had that revelation. Fun fact. As an athlete. As an athlete. You bridge elite. The, the elite athlete to elite coach. coach bridge is in between the ears of Tex McQuilkin. Yeah. It's huh. just making full body contact as a coach. Mm. Do you make any other types of full body contact? That's off the record. <laughs> Different show. So that's our other podcast that we talk about. Yeah, the, the Dirt and Skirt podcast. Dirt and skirt. I'm dirt your skirt, obviously. <laughs> oh. uh, so you can post questions for dirt and skirt on our Instagram account. Is it available? Uh, no, just hit tag Luke California. <laughs> so what do we got next, Tex? Uh, I hit my flow state again. I, I blacked out. Um, All right, so how about this? I'll, I'll take KC Foot. Uh, so this is another guy following Grindstone. Um, Let's see. What about a squat program to be done in addition to other work similar to the speed program? So you want to supplement with more squatting. Why? Okay. So assumption, my squat is weak. Uh, and I need, think I need to do more squatting to get better at squatting. Right. Maybe is that like, let's go with that vein. Let's just say my man Casey foot has some, you know, some numbers. Or in he feels like he can do more. Okay. So he's not pushing himself mm -hmm. or overloading to where he, you know, feels he needs recovery. Well, here's my concern. If you're on grindstone, it's probably because you have a, a busy schedule. If you can handle a program that has more squatting in it, you should be falling field strong. Right? Is that not an acceptable answer though? 
Uh, we, 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 we are not going to come out with likely, I, I can't think of a scenario to support. And listen, first off, let me also tell you that my first answer isn't always the one that I stick with as I talk myself through these things. So Tex, <laughs> you can fucking attest to this after various debates at like dinner and shit. Yeah. Um, That's because I always stop your argument and then you have to think of another one. Uh-huh. Maybe that might be it. That might be what you're doing. Um, but I can't think of a, a reason that we would have a squat specific program just to get better at squatting. I mean, squatting twice a week it, it should be enough, you know? And, and here's the thing is everything's fucking connected, right? So while we break out our primals into squat step lunge, like it's all about strengthening your hip girdle and uh, building the tensile strength through your trunk. Believe it or not, when you're doing pull-ups, my man, you're strengthening your ability to rack a bar on the upper back during your squat. You know what happens when you're doing your dumbbell rows? Maybe you should take all the other shit you're doing as seriously as you would on a squat program and see if that fucking carries through because it should. It's all connected. Um, so with that said, man, I, I don't think we're going to have like some sort of hatch squat or some fucking secret squirrel squat program. I, I, but hey, who the fuck knows? I know we have some in our arsenal that we've tried and tinkered with, but the problem is it takes away from the other components of training because it's fucking hard to, to squat four days a week. Um, but I guess, I don't know, Tex, what do you think? you want to battle on this or what? Yeah, sure. Here's what I would do. I would lunge and step up the other two lower body primal movements. Uh-huh. But we would take the approach of the posterior dominance, which you'll see on our step-up video. If you haven't already, check it out. So that's actively using your hamstring and your butt cheeks to pull yourself through space. And we want to take that again with lunging to where we're stepping in kind of that wide base, that train tracks athletic position, dropping the back hip flexor. So we're opening up the rear hip flexor, loading the front hamstring, and then pulling ourselves through on a lunge. This then prepares you unilaterally to connect both legs bilaterally for the squat in which you push your butt back, posterior chain dominant squat. And then from our experience and our stance, posterior chain squatting will then lead to more explosivity, which then leads to more power, which then leads to more numbers. And but explosivity isn't a word. What are you talking about? What I just said is what I'm talking well, about. Well, it wouldn't be the first time we would make up words on this show. Well, you, you are trying to get all sorts of words to stick. Condo. Condo. Punishment. Uh-huh. All I, the words that have stuck. Yeah, it's it's a pity stick. A pity stick. Yeah. Got to give you something. <laughs> <laughs> That's Barrel Ford for Blake, my man Blake. This will be kind of a cool one. Um, what are some barbells that you guys would recommend getting? Uh, I guess the ones that we, first off, I got fat bar. I think everybody should have a fat bar. Bamboo bar, that's fucking. That's a fun little device, right, Tex? You want to talk about how good you are at that? I'll yeah. tell them, not good at all. Well, I'm the we, fucking after man. After you continue, you <laughs> go through your list of bars, then we can go back and talk about the purpose. Okay, fine. Uh, fat bar, bamboo bar, I fucking love the football bar, like the Swiss bar. Um, and I would probably, you know, we just have the basically the three grip, neutral grip, mm-hmm. but there's also the one, like the, the five grip offset grips, uh, so I would probably tinker with that one too. Um, what did it, there was another one I said when we were we were talking about camber. oh a camber bar, yeah that's a that's oh no I'm gonna withdraw that and go safety squat. 
So let's talk those four bars. So I think squat for a bench press. Is no, this a bench press? No, it's not bench In press. In my mind, I'm only thinking bench press. Yeah. So I'm just thinking, uh, so I think those would be fucking solid. Solid set of bars. But uh, you should understand the purpose that each one of them are trying to drive a specific approach adaptation mm -hmm. to uh, the lifts. Mm -hmm. So you have mm -hmm. to understand each bar first before you just go all freaking credit card on them. Right. So here's what I would do. Here's why you get a fat bar, reverse curls. Here's why you get a, <laughs> <laughs> here's why you get a safety squat bar. Uh, reverse curls? Reverse curls. Um, and uh, front squats, right? Yeah. We've been playing with the front squat safety bar. Yeah. It's fucking hard. Yeah, it's, it's legit. So you can front squat with that sucker and uh, back squat with it. So the, the safety squat bar has the one with the big pads um, and also has a slight camber to it. They vary in camber based off of the – and the camber is like where the end of the bar kind of bends out of the center portion of the bar. Um, uh, so what that's going to do is going to force you to really concentrate and focus on a big upright back. Uh, during your squats and then during the front squat, it's pretty cool because uh, it changes. I mean, you got to change your grip up. Uh, it's also good for guys who have like elbow and shoulder issues. It helps them like fucking stay in really good position. Like uh, Ingo, who's one of our buddies, uh, he's got a fucked up elbow and shoulder from tons and tons of volleyball. So uh, safety squat can really help him like keep a nice upright position versus spreading his hands all the way down to the fucking end of the barbell you know what i mean like uh so that can help just with with some good position and you can it makes it easier to do more of a genie squat in a front squat um but it just kind of pushes your torso around a little bit right and it really really helps build that and test that tensile strength and forces you to stay back 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 in your squat right those huge dominance. yep so uh then we talk go into the fat bar uh i just think the fat bar is fun for Fucking around, field strength, grip strength type stuff, right? Um, you know, honestly, do reverse curls with them. Uh, push press, power cleans. Uh, let's see, what else are we tinker with? Uh, well, in terms of the fat bar, oh, strict pressing with it too. Like, let's say you got a guy. Uh, I'm just trying to think. So there's, there's there's reasons to use it for deficiencies. You know what I mean? But then there's otherwise just reasons to make it fucking suck, right? But let's say you're a guy with like a shoulder. Um, shoulder or wrist problems or elbow. I've had, when we had the, the gym, we'd have guys vertical press with a fat bar and it would, it would alleviate that stuff. Right. Um, that football bar is legit for like neutral grip bench press, incline, flat decline. Oh yeah. Incline. Uh, and it, and for like a nice close narrow grip and it, it, you know, you have a neutral grip on there. So again, guys with shoulder elbow wrist issues tend to, uh, uh, perform better on these bars. And by perform, I don't mean, I, you know, like I kind of mean put up bigger numbers, but they don't, the physical issues don't become a barrier for them, right? So like Jim, Jim, Wen yeah, Jim Wendler, uh, when he was on a few, oh, fuck, that must be months ago when he was on, he talked about how he has certain bars that he works with because these are the ones that don't fucking hurt because Wendler is a fucking battle-hardened dude, right? Uh, so he wants to keep on training and keep progressing. He might not need to vary the implement. And then our bamboo bar is uh, is a very fucking pliable bar where you strap up typically kettlebells, center mass bells, small plates, whatever, with uh, with bands. And it really teaches you how to uh, to use, again, Anthony Lowe, learn how to match tension to task in the bench press and overhead stability and things like that. Because if you give too much tension – that fucker will shake you around. If you don't give enough, it lands on your throat and you get 
fucking staple to the bench like my man Tex McQuilkin, right? But if you're a no, 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 ox, a stable too much tension. You, you you should have said it earlier. Not let too little. Oh, listen, irrelevant. Because if you're a fucking no, very machine like me, you just fucking smash. You keep up with and that big Jay Welly. You've had a lot of opportunity to oh, use it, dude. I'm basically natural. This is the first time I tried. There's no such thing as a natural. Listen, John Wellborn is a six foot eight, three hundred fifty pound giant who can <laughs> chew nails and spit bullets. Right? He can palm a medicine ball, and I go fucking toe to toe with him on bamboo bar. And his job for ten years was to bench press fucking three hundred fifty pound men, slamming their bodies into them. That's who I am. I'm Luke Summers. What's up? <laughs> that, that's a that's a great intro that you use at the CrossFit football seminar. Mm-hmm. Nobody knows what a bamboo bar is out there. Oh yeah, that's a bummer. But so, task specific tension. This is great to learn how to apply that, which then can carry over to anytime you're doing upper body plyometrics, lower body plyometrics, because the more relaxed you are, the more powerful you're going mm-hmm. to be mm-hmm. to turn on, turn off. So it just is a necessary opportunity that you can't get in the floor press, you can't get in the bench press, and then it's it's great for just fucking over courageous individuals and athletes like myself. Get dialed in. Boom. Are there any other bars that you can think of, Tex? Uh, uh, otherwise, I mean, uh, you can get jiggy with the different movements. You can go a single arm, a little well, single arm. Yeah, there's a, there's a whole different yeah. set of creativity things you can do with any fucking bar. Like, that's just a standard bar, right? Yeah. So, um, But I'm trying to think of all the tools that we have out there. Um, we just got the duffel though, so we're going to be put, messing around with that. Uh, John fucking pulled the trigger on the duffel bar, and that came last week. So... All right. How about we barrel forward? What do you say? All right. Um, here's a question from TH636. When are we going to get power athlete performance polos? And this is something I've been asking for for years. What are you, are you asking me? I'm just saying, just reiterating, this is, this is a need. Listen, Tyler, okay? I don't know when we're going to get it. Honestly, I don't know even if that would sell. Why would you even want that stupid thing, bro? I'm a t-shirt all day. Got to go to conferences, man. Yeah. Well, there's. listen, why does Tyler need it? That's what I want to know. I see why you need to fucking strap on the high school football coach's uniform. Yeah, uh, just get a medium. Khaki, khaki shorts, New Balance shoes, and a fucking medium performance polo. Not buttoned up and no undershirt. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe we could do that. I'll have to run it by the apparel fucking gatekeeper. Uh, but odds are you're probably not going to get it. Um, anyways, Tex, let's pop off a couple more and then let's call it a show. What do you say? All right. So we got uh, Dr. Jewett here. Honestly, is there anything wrong? Is there any wrong way to do curls? <sighs> oh, in the fucking squat rack. Oh, <laughs> you're not wrong. I'm fucking, dude, listen, I'll tell you what. I curl on our squat rack all the time. It's just if you're curling on somebody else's squat rack, that's when it becomes a problem, right? Uh, I don't think so. Uh, let's see. I'm trying to think of just a, a wrong way to do it. Maybe underwater? Yeah, that's good. That's definitely reaching. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, uh, if you're watching that Speedo commercial, that's going to be the new phase of training. It's getting rid of eccentrics, but those dumbasses don't understand the necessary uh, eccentric. Uh, what I'm what I'm thinking here is that the only wrong way is if you only do one way. Yeah. So oh, good point. If you only rely on hammer curls, or if you only rely on uh, that that palm up, 
So try to hit just all planes of motion. If you think about just every angle at a pronation and supination that you have the ability to execute, hit that in your curls. Mm -hmm. With weights, bands, weights, chains, chains with uh, chains, belts, whistles, yo-yos. You can even rotate while you're curling. Find different ways. Uh, you can do even holding a bicep curl and doing radial ulnar rotations. Uh, these are great if you're a boxer fighter or you're having any elbow issues to kind of really break up and maintain stability through all planes of motion. Um, let's see. What else? You see anything else? Yeah, I got one. Right. Um, favorite warm up. This is from the Strength Battalion. And then he's got a little business question here. Favorite warm up. I'm sticking with the classic IT band slow twisting kick. But I would say the whole, our whole fucking, what we're dreaming up on twist bend. What? Twist, twisty bendy? Yeah, but wait, there was another word in there. The twist bend something. Twist bend primal? Was that what it was? And our twist bend, bend primal fucking movement flows. Where like, so you're thinking about, I'm thinking of only a single movement. Uh -huh. You're thinking of a whole package. Yeah, a uh, warm up. Okay. Ooh, what, what did we get jiggy with in creative? We actually added a press to the IT band slow twisting kick. Yeah. Um, version three. Uh huh. That was a good one. Yeah. So yeah, be on the lookout for some uh, crazy training. What Germany? That's our next international. Trip. Yeah. Maybe we'll get some twist bend primal in there. Yeah. Throw a video together. Throw that up there. Yeah. So keep on looking there. Uh, fucking strength battalion. If that is your real name, Steven Randall. Uh, and then he asked, well, go ahead. So I'm going to throw one more out there. Okay. My favorite warm up. I'm going to go with our print or sprint preparation sequences. Okay that you can find on our Power Athlete Speed program. Yes, fair enough. Which is available through Train Heroic. Oh, no big deal. People, you know, we've been talking about the Speed program quite a bit here. Why don't we just give a little promo on the Speed program? Yeah, okay. That'll give you the opportunity to then see the value. All right, so here's the deal, people. Watch out for the link in, uh, in the show notes here. So go to powerathletehq.com, find this episode, go to that Train Heroic link, and you're going to enter coupon code PAPPAS, P-A-P-P-A-S, in all caps, PAPPAS, P-A-P-P-A-S. That's going to get you 10% off of that sprint program. Basically, how this program works is you click it and drag it on your train heroic calendar, you have it for a year, right? So you fucking cycle on and on and on and on all you want. This sucker's an eight-week speed program that's guaranteed to work somehow. Guaranteed yeah. to be delivered? Yeah, here's why. It's going to attack the two <laughs> biggest limiting factors for speed. It's going to attack flexibility and then mechanics. So again, the opportunity to really break that shit down and then attack your limiting factors. Do not accept being slow. Being slow is worse than being mediocre. And ugly. But some of us can't help that. Are you, you what are you saying? <laughs> She's talking about my, my friend. Pappas. Pappas. P-A- P-P-A-S, all caps, people, so be sure you're hitting up these show notes. But you know what the Barbell Strength dude, uh, my man, says he uses PayPal. He's got a business question. PayPal to bill clients. Any issues or suggestions otherwise? <sighs> okay, so I'm assuming you're in, so you Strength Battalion, so you're fucking, you're, you're lifting weights for people. Um, the deal with any sort of credit card processing, they're going to be in that little like 2-3% until you get some serious fucking volume. Uh, and honestly, you're far, far, far away. So honestly, whatever works for you, let it rip. Or you go to a, like what we ended up doing is going to a platform like Train Heroic, who manages 
the fucking credit card processing, but also provides you with value add shit like fucking, you know, statistics and tracking and like all sorts of analytics for your athletes, right? So for like a micro gym and micro business owner where you have a athletes that you can memorize, this is a super, super powerful thing because then you can show them that your training is working. Uh, they can log it. It gets you a fucking app. So you are mod, like you're a modern provider, but all that, all those feature sets are going to cost you, but it should, who's going to be fucking uh, benefiting from the feature sets. It should cost them as well. So I wouldn't expect you to like go to a platform like that and absorb the costs. Um, and I, I don't know if it would be a hard sell for you to pitch your clients on, but uh, that uh, I, that's what I would recommend because I truly think that those feature sets and adding on it, like these little fucking things, people love that shit, dude. I know I fucking love it. So, um, you just got to kind of scratch the itch. If your people are writing in notebooks now and like they're losing their notebooks or some shit like that, dude, if people want an app, like go find a fucking, go hit up train rock and get your fucking business on there. It's a no brainer. They handle all that shit for you. And then uh, you have all the tracking and analytics and stuff too. I mean, that's, that's what I would fucking do. And um, you know, if you have a brick and mortar gym, you have big L or maybe not big, but you have screens up. They have leaderboards. They have the workout of the day, all that shit. Like, it's it's built for you. It's a no brainer. Um, but in terms of like, if you're like, Hey man, I just want to get credit card processing, uh, done. Everything's going to be a fraction of a point away from one another, whether or not you're using, um, like a stripe an authorized.net, uh, a brain tree, like all this shit is, is relatively the same stuff for an enterprise, your size of like, you know, a dozen or so members. I don't know. So there's my, there's my recommendations on that. I don't know if that helps. Um, and then there's a couple more here I have here, text. Okay. We'll fucking barrel them forward. I feel like we're oh, getting they keep, But I think they just keep getting more and more and more. I know. Did you see the ones that are just popping up now? Yes. Yeah. Sons of bitches. All right. So, text. this might be – I don't know where this one's going to go, but I'm jumping in. Not I'm, the drown proofing. No, it's not the drown proofing. Um, Gordon Grimm, what would you consider to be the minimum effective dose for an average Joe to see noticeable gains in strength, power, I'm sorry, strength, speed, and athleticism. Could power athlete protocols be useful for said average Joe compared to other CrossFit or other fitness modalities? The minimum effective dose for an average Joe to see noticeable gains. See, my here's the bottom line is you have to stress to progress. Right. If you are just going through the motions or just showing up and then it's a walkabout almost in the gym – you are not going to see any results. But I don't like the terms like noticeable gains. I don't like that. Like noticeable gains to, to who? Hey, right? And speed, Amount strength, of speed, eat. and athleticism. Now, here's what I'm going to tell you about like if athleticism is truly a, a goal of yours, which is being the most economical and fucking gifted mover out there and making things look effortless, right? Uh, adapting quickly to, to new stimulus and stuff like that. Most CrossFit gym, like if you if you go to a CrossFit gym or CrossFit box, most of the programs are gonna are, will really struggle to facilitate an adaptation of athleticism. And let me tell you why. And this is a learning moment that we have with a lot of the people who come to CrossFit football seminars. Okay. It's by the very nature of class and group training. Most gym spaces uh, probably occupy close to sixty to seventy percent of floor space with barbell stations, right? 
stations, like you have clients in a certain rate and they have their own workout radius, right? Their bubble. Their bubble. And they're going to be transitioning to potentially like a wall ball uh, pull up or whatever you're going to fucking program, right? Here's the thing about that. The best way would be to have them fucking transfer as fast as possible. But could you imagine someone like busting off a barbell, turning open step, fucking burst to the wall and then getting hit by a barbell? Like you just can't have this nonlinear free movement that's required to develop athleticism in a fucking bubble. Like that's it. Now that, but the goal of CrossFit isn't athleticism, it's fitness. So those programs will get people fit as fuck in the best shape of their lives if they do it right. And there's shitty idiot CrossFit owners too, uh, you know, who, who don't get it right. But there's a lot of coaches who get it right. So you're, I, I say this because I, I think I can say this confidently, Tex. We travel the world working with primarily people who have followed CrossFit for, for multiple years and high-level CrossFitters. And they struggle to display the traits of athleticism. But they're in some of the best, they're people that are much fitter than I will ever be. Right. So I guess with that said, the minimum effective dose would have to be programming that promotes the athleticism and an average Joe can improve athleticism. And I think they should, dude. I think that should be a goal just like fitness. And they're kind of, they're intertwined, man, because to do more and more complex, complex tasks, you have to increase GPP and increasing GPP is increasing your fitness. Right. So with that said, two days a week, (laughs) one day a week. Of the speed program, I'll keep it down. No, like of, uh, I mean, what, what, do, what do you think? You should be training fucking minimum effective dose. I'm going to say it's two days a week. Minimum effective dose, but it's always going to be increase. You have to, you continually progress. Yes. Right? And it, find a way to progress. And, and one of those you stress You need to forms. be more efficient with your time and your stress, the more planes of motion you move through. Mm-hmm. Or the more complex new tasks mm-hmm. that you attack. So- all of the warm-up series and the shit that we do, yeah, that will be the fastest way to accelerate the adaptation and then continue down your athletic continuum, athleticism continuum mm-hmm. at a faster rate. Yeah, yeah. So, and the two days comes from science and practices. I just remember that number sticks out to me. Um, so that's my source. I'm citing. But my if you're doing a routine, you're not progressing. Mm-hmm. So there is no such thing as a routine. So there you go. That's kind of good discussion. That's a good question. And then he has another question. Um, I'm scrolling, guys. Sorry about this. Uh, about, you know, what are some recommended pieces of equipment for a gr- like a garage gym guy, right? What equipment do you promote slash recommend for a home gym? What are the bare essentials? Um, okay, so here's the Olympic barbell, bumper plates, and steel plates, ranging up to 500 pounds, hopefully, right? A rack to squat out of, Right? Or blocks. I guess you could squat off blocks. Yeah. And then use adjustable blocks for various shits. Shits. Uh, a pull-up, something to do pull-ups on. Doesn't have to be a fucking fancy pull-up bar. Like anything. You know, the Tree, con- your backyard. Yeah. The convenience of a l- perfectly level fucking pull-up bar is nice, but you could fucking... You got a balcony? Pull-up on apartment? it. Yeah. Pull-up on an I-beam, right? Uh, double overhand, switch grip, neutral grip. Um, so something to do vertical pulls on. I would also get adjustable dumbbells, right? So you, Ooh, right. So, old school Sorenex. Yeah, like the old school Sorenex adjustables or even just like a plate-loaded dumbbells. Fuck, I don't give like well, anything because you want to be, you want to have anything, everything from probably, like you can get sassy with five-pound dumbbells, right? Mm-hmm. For like a vertical support in a Captain Morgan, 
Um, and then you probably need to go up to 150. So you need dumbbells from five to 150. Um, well, I do not tax. <laughs> well, you don't, you don't, you don't touch those gorilla cookies, do you? Only for snatches. Oh, <laughs> uh, slam ball, sandbag. I or would just, say actually, sandbag over slam ball. Yeah. Okay. Cause you can just slam a sandbag. Yeah. And I would even opt for like, a just a hard D ball. Yeah. Eight pounds that you can just get fucking whipping around athletic and creative with throwing it everywhere. Yeah, you're going to see a lot of – Lighter lighter's going to be better with the med ball. Yeah, because we – And then go heavy with the sand. Talking with Ed Cosner on the earlier podcast, there's going to be some heavy med ball influence coming up. Oh, yeah. So um, just going back to the med ball GPP stuff, uh, what else do we – are we missing? Oh, you need some fucking, like, bands, right? You need mini some – bands? Like, mini like bands. The Jack Street. Both. Bands. Okay. Both. Some, for some, like, you know – for banded walks and shit like that. Cause those are fucking $6, dude. Everybody should have those. Yeah. Right. Um, you should get, and then some like, uh, some jump bands or whatever they're called, uh, for like tricep pushdowns and banded good mornings. Uh, uh, let's see. That's a pretty good setup there. Yeah. And space. Mm hmm. Fucking sprint somewhere. Or sprint. Yeah. Oh, a fucking sled. Prowler. What are you thinking? You're not feeling it. Bare essentials. Dude, okay, fine. I won't. Then no. You got a wall, wall you, drill. You can do the wall drill in mm -hmm. place of a prowler. But if you got the means, yeah, look and get that in. So bare essentials. Yeah, I'm trying to think of what else. That's pretty good. Dude, I think you probably want an airdyne or air bike. I think that's an essential. I really do. You don't use the one here. Well, I'm not. I got fucking versa climber. <laughs> Not essential. Yeah. Well, first off, Tex, Mr. Fucking Nark Me Out for not conditioning. Okay, <laughs> man. I'm just taking a little break from the old condo. All right? I've got a lot of things going on here. Well, we do have a condo cycle coming up that we have to test for Field Strong. So that'll be... Uh... Yes. Uh, so anyways, that's, that's pretty fucking stellar setup, man. That's what I would go with. But um, all right. Anything else, Tex? Should we try and pop any of these other ones off? No? All right. It's been a long day. We're still a little jet-lagged here, people. But uh, thank you. Thank you for uh, tuning in to Power Athlete Radio, the crew episode. Hopefully, we, uh, we empowered you with the information to make you a better coach, athlete, or human being overall. So a couple announcements coming up. We're coming up for the last couple certs of the year. I think I'm going to try and get something going uh, over by Double D. Kansas? Yeah. All right. So somewhere over there in the middle of the country, then we're probably going to go to Sweden. And I think that's it for the year, homie. So Rome, Germany, Philadelphia. Yep. Kansas, Sweden. Yes. And then we have the Power Athlete Symposium here in SoCal. Uh, that's going to be fucking killer. And then uh, keep your eyes out too. Pe uh, keep your eyes peeled on our Instagram, Power Athlete HQ Instagram, uh, spelled out that way, for our Toes Forward competition. This is fucking killer. We got giveaways from Sorenx, RX Bar, fucking Gators, MWOD. Dude, uh, Skull Candy has these sick earbuds in this sick jam box. Jam box. Jam yeah. Box. Um, uh, Caveman Coffee's kicking in some goods. Train Heroic's kicking in some goods. And how do we participate? It's easy, dude. You fucking, so you're going to hear about it on Monday, the 5th of September. You take a bitchin' picture of you just standing there, toes forward. 
right? Toes forward is the best way that we know to produce force in every fucking plane of motion through every primal. And reduce force. And reduce force. And, uh, and it's also how we fucking tackle all of life's ups and downs, Tex. There's your force. <laughs> you like that? So uh, keep an eye out there, dude, because there's going to be one lucky winner that's taking away all this shit. It's literally getting shipped off, and we're, gonna, we're pitching in a bunch of gear. Oh, Matt Vincent and Hate Brand Goods, they're pitching in a bunch of cool shit too. Like, this is killer, guys. Toes forward. It's super easy. Take it, snap a pick, hashtag toes forward, and then you're going to fucking get it. Dude, you're gonna, someone, some lucky asshole out there is getting a – like, basically, I pick the prize pack that I want. So if you're anything like me and you like legit shit, you're going to love this fucking thing. And I, I challenge you to be creative. Mm-hmm. So don't just do the old wood floor, toes forward, barefoot, mm-hmm. hobbit feet that mm-hmm. I would do. I want you to get out somewhere amazing in the world and point those toes forward. No shit. Uh, so uh, Andy Stump sent one from fucking Switzerland. About to jump off a big old fucking cliff in his wingsuit. So it's going to be pretty hard to top you gotta that. You got to top one. that. <laughs> but dude, fucking challenge is on. See if you're throwing on those vans. See what kind of kicks you got. Are you a nano guy? Nanos are the Birkenstocks of <laughs> nanos here's the here's a theory that luke and i have from observation at, at many events and traveling the world is going to be that nanos social nanos social nanos so out at the bars are the new socks with sandals uh-huh because we don't see that anymore mm-hmm. but what we do see are shit ton of nanos that's right but uh, that's it Tex. i got fucking nothing else man this is a good one yeah let's wow we got world travels coming up and some exciting guests that we're booking so Uh, people infotaining coming up don't forget about it speed program pappas give me two and that is it for power athlete radio thanks guys now it's time for you to empower your performance wade's army's fifth annual wade's day campaign has officially kicked off From now until November 12th, we will be honoring the brave pediatric cancer patients battling neuroblastoma, a tumor derived from immature nerve cells. For 2016, we're embracing their valor and highlighting their nerves of steel. Join the fight against neuroblastoma and help us reach our goal of fundraising $125,000. Enlist today at wadesarmy.org by clicking the Donate Now badge and claim your limited edition Wade's Army uniform. Every army needs a uniform. Until next time, bye!